Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Beats of the Market podcast. I'm your host, Ed Martin. It feels like a long time since our last episode. I am super excited to be back. I have been traveling quite a bit and enjoying myself getting out. I hope you're all able to do the same. We have a lot to cover this episode. Lots of things happening. right at the end of the month. We had the Jackson Hole Fed meeting last week where Powell came out, made the tough man stance, said, we're not going to pivot. That's fantasy. We're not even thinking about pausing our rate hikes. This will continue and you're going to have to take the hard medicine. Market called his bluff, rallied, and by Friday, they put out hawkish notes to get the point through that they are committed to this cycle and they are not going to pivot until something breaks. A theme that has been incredibly common throughout this whole podcast, and so I don't want to beat that dead horse anymore. We saw the market's response. Friday it sold off. I believe Wednesday it even sold off a little bit, more so Friday when the notes were revised. I think it was meant to shock, and it certainly had some of that effect. I hope everyone has been well. I just want to speak to some of those predictions. We had that list of credit default swaps of countries that are higher risk of default. I don't know if you remember me saying, I believe it was one of the first episodes. I said, if I had to bet that one of those five countries would have problems, it would happen within a year. And it was really Pakistan out of that list. So If we look at that list again, our countries now in the top 10 with the highest default ratings are El Salvador, Ghana, Tunisia, Pakistan, which has played out, Egypt, Kenya, Argentina, Ukraine, Bahrain, and Namibia. I believe that's how you pronounce that country. So nothing really surprising there. It it doesn't take a rocket scientist to forecast that a country with high debt and high uh, credit default risk is going to have problems. The heat that's under the the pan uh you know boiling the frog is these energy supply problems this energy crunch which is now starting to move its way quite quickly into europe we know that ray dalio's bet probably played out i think he was on the nail with that just shorting european stocks and so the question becomes how much of this is priced in and i don't know but If I had to put an estimate on how much of the American stock market, let's just take SPY being the S&P 500, top 500 companies, is European earnings, I would say that roughly 20% of that is European earnings power. I think that's a fair thing to say. You think about Coca-Cola, you know, Pepsi, snack companies, these international companies that do sales there. And if the production in Europe is slowly, you know, just moving towards this cliff, then uh, then it's just going to get whacked. And so a 20% correction or even a 25% correction really just wouldn't surprise me. So I'll just speak to the markets here. I think what we saw was the COVID 
pandemic stimulus boom, the irresponsible deployment of cash into the markets, which supersized consumer spending and pushed the stock market to an unbelievably bubbly level of, uh, you know, I believe it was something like 28 times future earnings. And now since that 4,800 dropped to, we're now breaking 4,000, we are looking at 17 times forward earnings. And I believe actually that number wasn't 28, it was 25. So it's from 25 down to 17, that would be considered fair value. Here's the if. It's fair value if earnings are as expected. And I don't believe that is the case. We had the first drop in the market, that really nasty start to the year. And that was the growth multiple. So the, your economy is no longer growing at 15. Let's say your, your stock market is no longer growing, uh, you know, this being Apple or Microsoft or Google or whatever it is at 15% annual. They're now growing at, let's say, 5 or 6% annual. And then we had these two negative GDP prints. So overall, total spending in the economy is either flat or negative. And that's not real. That's nominal. So it's even lower than that. So you've had the multiple come in. It's the first sell-off. And the second sell-off, which could come, I'm not going to say it will, but I, I, it just wouldn't surprise me, would be a earnings compression because all of these expected future earnings, the, the bottom part of your, your price to earnings multiple is off. If you look at what's happening in the UK, there's just energy problems. The energy cap will increase by 80%. So the baker's bill that was 2000 will be nearly 4000 now. It's a slow motion train wreck. And the good news is that, you know, we've had so much rain that really just made up for this horrendous drought. So hopefully our crop yields can get a bit better. I think that will be a topic that comes up much more next year. You know, as we've gotten this rain come in, it certainly helps farmers out. They really needed that. And it also helps the major waterways, transportation. So some of that cost pull, that supply side inflation can be alleviated just through having better access to transportation because now you can put your barges on them or your boats or so on. The utility companies we just had last week, Austria, one of Austria's largest power companies is, uh, you know, just got margin called and they're, they're not going to be able to pay these costs. The, the curve for European energy is, it, it makes Bitcoin look like shit. It's totally ridiculous. It's not a sustainable number for energy in an economy. And so something will break. The breaking has already been signified by governments getting heavily involved in bailouts and stimulus. I guess the question, the piece that I can't really figure out, if you have a recession and demand collapses faster than supply, but you have Europe shutting down production and you have people receiving unemployment benefits while this free money is essentially still in circulation with yields moving higher, uh, you know, until in whatever games central governments can play manipulating the yield curve, so be it. The question is, you know, which falls faster, supply or, or demand? And to be honest, I'm leaning towards supply. And so that's still inflationary. And that's, uh, you know, for commodities, that's still bullish. And so this is something that I've been kind of looking at as we have these big red days. How are commodities reacting? to these um, demand shocks, these PMI numbers. We had the PMI come in at 45. 
bad numbers for the for the U.S. the you know price manufacturing index, and uh, it's just signaling that the those rate hikes are, are starting to really trickle in. You're really starting to see things slow down. Why aren't some of these other costs just collapsing? So I will be talking energy a lot in this episode because I think it is a major major theme, and also I won't get into the politics of the student U.S. loan program, but I will say just from the optics of it, that if you are relieving debt or you are giving another form of stimulus, it is another form of stimulus that is inflationary. There is no doubt in my mind. And we also had the $2 trillion in the Inflation Reduction Act, the RA. I, you know, I think it's a terrible acronym for it, but these are all signaling to the consumer that the U.S. is still firing on cylinders, or at least on all cylinders. And I, I just have a hard time kind of working out where the credibility of the Fed and the, uh, the president are working together. Because it's like one hand is, all right, we're raising rates, we're slowing down the economy, we're going to cool off this inflation, ah, but we're going to cancel this debt, and now this person is going to have an extra $300 a month to spend. Uh, on discretionary spending, whatever it, it might be. And it's just a very strange duality between the two. And I'm not sure how this plays out, but it's something to keep our eye on going forward here. Let's talk energy. I know we already talked energy. Let's talk it a little more because it's an important theme. And we had in the geopolitical theater, Saudi Arabia, looking to establish what looks to me like a price floor for crude saying they are supportive of prices where they see fit in the market. So we know that countries like India are incredibly reliant on cheap energy. And when they have a five or 10 X increase in the cost of energy, it just raises massive problems. We saw some of this with Sri Lanka, some of that playing back to the political decisions or policy framework of uh, taking out synthetic bases out of fertilizers or some of their their you know agricultural policies and then you have low crop yields and then just throw in gas prices which are highly correlated to ammonia or uh, you know fertilizer ammonia is a, a product of lng so when gas prices go up your fertilizer costs go up and it goes to the farms and, and it affects everybody and those large countries with cheap energy get really really hit hard and so what it looked like to me was uh, we had the combination of the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, going now to the lowest level since 1985 in combination with Saudi Arabia saying, hey, look, we got problems in Libya, we got problems in the Middle East here, and we need to support a price of oil that reflects the honesty of uh, you know, supply and demand in the markets. So let's talk precious metals. I was kind of looking at gold. It's just so hated. It's so boring. It's such a stupid underperforming asset. It's a 
rock in the ground. And what was the, the Mark Twain quote? Uh, a mine is a hole with a liar standing over it. I, I really love that quote. It speaks to the, the stupidity of, of the whole precious metal space. With that being said, on the talk of rate hikes, gold being really beat down, I do like the appeal of it. With the current geopolitical uncertainty, it makes for an interesting asset class. I'm just not sure how it will perform here. I don't know how high oil goes or when we see that glut eventually hit the markets, but I have been uh, you know, happy with the oil trade. I like that as a bit of an inflation guard, and I have also been short a lot of these just junk names. I won't name any specific companies. And again, this is not investment advice. Please, you know, consult a professional or whatever you have to do with your own money before you throw it into these crazy markets. But I'm happy to go through this. And when the market sells off at one or two or three percent like it did Friday, you know, these junk names just get absolutely pummeled, you know, seven, eight, nine percent. And I really love, you know, being long and short the market and having that commodity exposure. But uh, again, not investment advice, just how I navigated it. I think it's a lot of fun when you get this type of volatility. And I, I don't want to be just piling, you know, endlessly into index funds that are, that are priced at a, a very stupid multiple, in my opinion. And not nearly as bad as they were at 4,800, but another 25 or 30% down here. Maybe I start nibbling a little bit, start, you know, buying some quality names. But, you know, the, these oil companies that had great quarters with oil at 70, you know, they were selling it at 110. Now they sell it at 90. They're paying 7, 8, 9%. Some of them pay 15%. And if you're, to me, if you're long oil, you're long government stupidity. It's more of a bet that the, political atmosphere doesn't allow for an increased supply in energy that is abundant. I am actually pro clean energy. And so let's transition that into nuclear here. So Germany having a hard time making the decision to fire up their nuclear plants, largely because the decision was made during the 2011 Fukushima disaster, all while Japan is saying, guess what, this year we are talking about firing up the nuclear plants. It is mind-boggling the duality between um, some of these policies. Uh, you know who sees the problem worse and how they're going to get out of it. But the good news is that Germany increased their gas storage levels. They think it'll be around ninety percent by November. That doesn't mean that rations will come offline, but it gives them a little bit of leeway. So maybe this winter is not the hard one, but. Without supply of energy coming online or uh, Russia playing nice, there is more work to do on that. In one of our previous episodes, we were talking about the bullwhip, which is when you know a false signal in demand sends a signal to the supplier and they uh, end up with an inventory glut, right? It's just a, a typical kind of, um, maybe not typical, but a supply-demand mismatch. And excess in demand leads to an excess in supply. And when it's a spur of the moment, like toilet paper during COVID, the suppliers freak out, create too much, and then they have to sell it. So one of the things I noticed today just walking around a local shopping mall was the insane amounts of 50 to 70% retail sales, discount sales on a lot of clothes. And I'm not sure if clothes were one of the big things that were a pandemic buy. My guess would be probably yoga pants. 
because everybody was sitting at home working from home. So there's probably probably a huge glut of those. And I would just say, you know, just to try and be a little bit positive and fun here, go out, have fun. If you're looking for some cheap clothes, check out some of that stuff. Support your local economies. I loved shopping around, buying some cheap dress dress shirts. I found some great deals. And, uh, you know, I just like being in there and kind of seeing what what was uh, over purchased. And I think that, that that's a great way to, um, uh, you know, to get some some well-priced goods and to also try and help, you know, support your local economy. So with that being said, we talked oil, we talked um, the European consumer. I am looking at the excess savings in the U.S. being a little under $2 trillion. We still have quite a lot of cash on the sidelines. Yeah, so the show goes on. I've been traveling a bit. I will continue to travel, and I just see tons of people out. I don't really have, and you know, this is just a feeling, right? This is just the behavioral side of it. This isn't me looking at notes or, or, or saying the exact numbers. I think some of those things we've already talked about, but just looking in, and the consumer is hurt, but they haven't tapped out. That's kind of how I see it. And especially with the travel, I'm not sure if it's kind of floating in the back of Europeans' heads. I'm kind of here. So, you know, it's Plato's cave. I only know what's in front of me. And uh, they're not, you know, people, um, the point is the demand destruction needed to really signal a hard recession isn't quite there yet. And that looks to me like it's reflected in the market too, because if it was a real recession, even with the two negative uh, you know, GDP prints, we would uh, we'd be down quite a bit more from here. And I think that could you know, happen over the next year or two. We just have to see how this plays out, how high rates have to go, how much excess savings would in the system and you know and so on but um overall it's been really fun trading these markets i've been a little more active with it than usual now i'm just kind of sitting back and enjoying myself and i hope everybody gets to do that too let's see for music it's really just kind of been a switch from the classic rock type of stuff and indie rock into some uh, more electronic music some kind of housey trancey stuff and uh, I had to spend a lot of time producing. I try and jump genres typically. So it's kind of difficult to create like a really nice organic, uh, you know, piano, hip hop, a guitar track, and then switch suddenly to like a techno track or something. But I usually try and keep some organic elements in the production just so it sounds like a human being made it. But there wasn't any particular artist that I was looking at this week. I am excited to hear Long Distance Calling, that band from Hamburg that I spoke about on the second or third episode, to hear their new album that's a progressive rock band. I always like listening to bands that have really creative riffing or bands like Cloud Kicker before where we were talking about that math rock and it's almost like impossible to find the three or the four. I I just I love that people's minds think like that and those weird patterns when they create music. It's not just trying to create a loop. It's trying to create this insane pattern that can be really wild in your mind. If you want a good example that you can listen to Tool songs, most of them are just completely wild with uh, Danny Carey's drumming or any you know, of the instruments, whether it's the you know, really kind of bouncy hypnotic bass lines. And uh, you know, if you want to play a fun game, listen to uh, a Tool song and try and find the four. <laughs> so good luck with that. This week, I was reading The Tao of Trading from Simon Rhee. I had the chance to give him some feedback and spoke with him on Twitter. 
He was a uh, trader in commodities, options, and different assets from Citigroup and, and Goldman Sachs for about 20 years. And he has a really fun book. I don't like a lot of investment books unless they're historical um, or about something really crazy that happened or like financial crime um, because they just feel so gimmicky. But what I really love about this book is it doesn't feel gimmicky. It's very fun. It's sharp. Uh, you can tell he's a smart guy. It's playful. And it just kind of is adding to uh, my library, you know, a set of tools to uh, navigate markets. Um, a lot of it kind of covered looking at trends, trend following, um, how to establish patterns between the exponential moving averages, sometimes called the EMA. And, you know, just trying to get into a winning trade, whether it's a week or a month or a year and using that momentum combined with maybe a, a nice fundamental story to ride uh, a good trade to, a, to a, a really profitable position. Anyway, so that's it for me. I won't speak too much about that book, I'm about halfway through with it. I might cover a little bit on the uh, next episode. But thanks again so much for listening and much love. should be construed as investment advice and some of the securities I talk about may be actively held.